for joining us again for another episode of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I am your host, Coach Chelsea, and y'all, I'm excited. I'm elated. I am super thankful to God for, I was sitting here talking to my family. I said, it's like our first generation up in here. And I said, it's amazing how sitting here planning, like, all right, God, what you want to do? And he gave me the theme, the whole armor of God for servant leaders. And then I sat here and as I'm planning, I'm looking at April the whole way through. And I said, I cannot believe it has slipped my mind. This is the second anniversary of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. So it even adds more of a celebration, more of gratitude and humility um, to be able to grace the mic with just being God's vessel. And we have another amazing vessel on. He's not a stranger. As I put in the announcement, he's not new to this. He's true to this. We have our servant leader, our brother, a part of the firm foundation of this group, pastor and coach, coach of the year. All right, let me put that out there. Dennis McNulty with us, and he's going to break off a word. I'm telling y'all right now, you better get your Bibles out, even if you have to dust them off, get your notebooks out, because he's coming with a word. And I know this to be true because we prayed them up together. So, bro, I thank you so much for each time me asking. It's always a yes. It's always an absolutely. You never reject me. You're always there for me on and off the mic. So I'm going to pass the torch to you to say hello to our listeners and go ahead and take charge of the evening. Well, praise the Lord, beloved. Thank you so much, my sister. It's always good to be back with the servant leader uh, family. Uh, I'm just so grateful for the connections that we've made um, really all over the country. And um, it's genuine. You know, I was trying to explain as I uh, look to, you know, let folks know that we would be out together on tonight and a couple of questions, a couple of inquiries as to, well, who are they? What is, you know? And I said, man, uh, it's, it's a group of people that are interested in advancing the kingdom of God, all that have some um, connection to the coaching community or sports world. And we're just really looking to live out our faith. Uh, I'm excited about the word for tonight. I'm excited about the two-year anniversary, and, um, you know, as it was given to me, uh, I'm convinced that it was given to me littered in a time of prayer, littered in um, reflective thought, and I don't think it's by accident that you downloaded from the Lord this whole idea about the whole armor of God. Now, when we look at Ephesians chapter 6, There's no getting around the fact that if we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, then we have to understand it in context. And so I want to kind of begin by sharing, uh, you know, the the preacher in me wouldn't be a preacher if I didn't tag it some kind of way. Um, I hope that's not offensive to anybody. But the fact of the matter is, I want to talk tonight from this subject. I'm still standing. I'm still standing. Now, we can look at that certainly individually, but as we look at the Servant Leadership Bible Study family, we can look at that collectively as well. And so our foundational scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 6. Most of us are familiar with Paul's admonishment as it relates to putting on the full armor of God. So I want to just kind of look at it as our foundational scripture, and then we'll go forth with uh, a couple of the things that I pray Uh, would be beneficial to those of us uh, that have tuned in. Uh, The fact of the matter is we are in a war. The fact of the matter is that um, there is conflict all around us, but to the the glory of God and thanks be unto God that gives us the victory, uh, we're still standing. So Paul writes in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and he's kind of coming in for a landing because his own words suggest that he's concluding what he's writing. So in verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take on to, the, to you the whole armor of God that you'd be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, Wherefore, you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. And we'll conclude right there. So I specifically was given the helmet of salvation. Now, just real quickly, can everybody see me? Yeah. All yes, right. sir. Okay, wonderful. Thank you all. Because for some reason, when you started the recording, it alerted me to the fact that you started the recording and that's just all I see on my screen. So I can see you behind it, but that's kind of in the forefront of my screen. So no worries because um, I have a face better for radio than television anyway. So we thank God that, that my view, <laughs> never the mind. Uh, so God is good. Now I, I want to talk from the thought I'm still standing, but I want to give you in essence what Paul is admonishing us to do. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, I'm afraid that too often in the middle of our spiritual warfare, in the middle of the conflict that we might find ourselves in, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that this is a battle that is real. It's no sense suffering from delusions of grandeur or flight of fancies. There's no sense pretending that we're not engaged in the war that we are because that would be of a tremendous disservice to where God's trying to take us. So we are, but we lose sight of the fact that this is the Lord's battle. We lose sight of the fact that we are to find our strength in the Lord and in the power of his might. And sometimes in Paul's writing, it is helpful that we examine what it does not say. It does not say in our strength. It does not say under our own power. It doesn't say according to our own intellect. He says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. For the biblically astute among us, we, we might recall these words in the Old Testament. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So the fact of the matter is, if you have the uh, indwelling Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, you should, then you would understand that we have an incredible advantage in this warfare. But the fact of the matter is, from time to time, we lose sight of it. We lose sight of it because we want to take matters into our own hands. We lose sight of the fact that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the fact is, we are going to win the battle, but we have to do it according to the terms of the contract. Now, God doesn't use words like contract, but God very much uses words like covenant. So we have to understand that while the battle is yet raging, we are to stand. And what we're standing against is the wiles of the devil. Simply translated, the tricks, the schemes, the tactics, and the devices of the enemy. And I always tell people, Sister Chelsea, that the enemy knows what button to push, right? So what might set you off might be an entirely different attack than what per adventure could set me off. But whatever it is, the trick, the scheme, the tactic, the devices, the wiles of the devil is what we're looking to stand against. And Paul tells us that in order to do this, we have been given an armor, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he reminds us that our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. I'll be the first to admit that from time to time, I lose sight of that. So I'll, I'll get angry with him or her or them. When in actuality, there is a spiritual dichotomy to it. In actuality, I am fighting against a trick, a scheme, a tactic, or a device of the enemy. And I can only win that battle in the realm in which it was intended to be fought, which is to say the realm of the spirit. All right. Now, interestingly enough, what I don't think we talk enough about in Ephesians is that Paul is really trying to share with us, the believer, what the nature of our relationship should be 
with, for example, he begins with what our relationship should be towards each other. So as believer to believer, brother to brother, sister to sister, he gives us what our code of conduct should be. He then instructs us on what our uh, relationship should be to the non-believer. And that certainly should be different than the relationship that we have with the believer, right? We often talk about the servant leadership family. We, we need to be mindful that part of the trick, part of the wiles, part of the device or the tactic of the enemy is to get there to be a discord among us. He wants to divide the house so that he can conquer the house. He wants us to be disgruntled with each other rather than to be supportive of each other. He wants us to tear each other down rather than build each other up. This is part of the tactic of the enemy. And finally, Paul then comes to what the relationship should be between the believer and our adversary. So three very separate and distinct relationships, one with the non-believer, the other with the household of faith, and the third, what my relationship should be with the adversary. And I want to just say it as plainly as I can, the church got to stop fighting each other so that we can begin to fight the one that is looking to bring us down according to his wiles and his schemes and his tricks. Now, the other thing that's worth noting here in the introduction is that the enemy is subtle. We know this from the beginning, that the serpent was more subtle than the woman. And so I tell people that in this battle, in this warfare, we have to be careful lest we miss what it is that the enemy is trying to deceive us in. So Paul is sharing with us regarding the whole armor of God. I want to take a brief um, sidebar, if you will. I want to kind of go backwards that we might go forward. And the fact of the matter is, when I was in my time of preparation to be uh, with the servant leadership family, the Lord called my mind to the very uh, familiar uh, scripture and story between the battle between David and Goliath. And I want to share something from that that I think can help us to make Ephesians chapter six more applicable in our life using again as a theme, I'm still standing. Now, first of all, if you're tuned in, I want you to begin to reflect upon the tactic, the scheme, the trick or the device of the enemy that was meant to cripple you, that was meant to hinder you, that was meant to derail you, that was meant to discourage you. And then as soon as the Holy Spirit calls that to your mind, I want you then to pause, albeit briefly, and right where you are, give God a praise for the fact that God kept you. Now, we are kept by the power of God through faith. I love that about God, that God doesn't do anything in his economy that doesn't include the element or the dimension of faith. Everything in the economy of God requires a measure of faith, and that is precisely why God gave each of us a measure of faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God and that you, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What the enemy wants to do is cause the tactic or the device, the scheme or the trick or the wiles, if you will, to get you to forget what God has promised you. And whenever we forget what God promises us, there is a tendency that we become discouraged. There is a tendency that we become despondent. There is a uh, tendency for us to become disenfranchised and we find ourselves down in uh, the valley. We find ourselves in depression. We find ourselves in guilt. We find ourselves in shame. So as we go back to go forward, I want you to understand that God very much wants to encourage us tonight. God wants us to take inventory and say, wait a minute. Yes, there were some tactics. Yes, there were some schemes. Yes, there were some things that did not go the way that I thought they would. But indeed, to the glory of God, I'm still standing. When we go back and we look at the story of David and Goliath, uh, certainly well known, even outside of the household of faith, you know, when there's a huge mismatch in uh, the sporting uh, arena. We, we use, it's a David versus Goliath, you know, the one verse 16 matchup. Oh my goodness. Jersey City, where you at? St. Peter's, let's go. You understand. But what I think we miss, if I can say so respectfully, is David would have never been in position to confront what others were afraid of 
if David didn't operate with this posture and spirit of humility. So for the note takers, I want you to write that down. You're never going to be able to confront or you're never going to be able to have a victory rather over that which you're afraid to confront. So when we look at the story of David, the Philistine giant by the name of Goliath was levying a challenge against Israel. David was not even there where the battle was being uh, waged. In other words, he was still at the house. I want you to catch this now because I think that sometimes our greatest victories are missed, not because we don't have armor, but simply because the thing that God is trying to lead us to, we miss because the simple task that would have led to it, we sometimes think is beneath us. And if you operate with the premise that this is beneath me, you are potentially going to miss the very thing that God wanted to give you to set you up for your greatest victory. So in David's case, David was told by his father, I want you to go down and bring your brother some lunch. Now, David already knew that there was an anointing on his life. David already knew that God called him to be the king of Israel. In, in, in some ways, David could have potentially thought that that was beneath him. But I stopped by to tell you that it is dangerous whenever we operate in the posture of pride. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now I'm gonna connect this, I promise you I will, to the helmet of salvation. In fact, if God helped me, I'm gonna connect it to the whole uh, armor of God. David is told by his dad to do something that seems minuscule, seems beneath him. How many victories have we missed simply because the thing that was required of us, we thought we were better than? We thought we don't qualify. Well, I'm the pastor. I'm the bishop. I'm the head coach. I'm the uh, superintendent of schools. I'm the athletic director. Whatever the case may be, you can't be set up for victory if you don't have a servant's heart. And I want you to know that as we preach this, I'm still standing. As we teach this, celebrating two years of the Servant Leadership Bible Study, God pressed that upon my spirit. Don't miss your greatest victory because the thing that's setting you up to be in position for the greatest victory, you missed because you thought it was beneath you. So David went down to bring his brother's lunch, and it's a good job that he did because it was only when he took care of the thing that the father required of him taking lunch to his brothers, was he within earshot to hear the challenge of Goliath. And don't forget, nobody was willing to fight Goliath. Nobody was willing to stand. Nobody was willing to stand. And, and David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I love this because you can hear who is this that thinks that he's going to beguile the hand of an all-wise God. And they said, David, you, you, you can't, David took the challenge. Now, here's the part about the armor that most of us are aware of. When David agreed to fight Goliath, they gave David a helmet. By the way, Goliath, who was mighty in battle, he was even wise enough to cover his head with a helmet. And in the New Testament, Paul talks about the helmet of salvation. Keep your finger right there in the battle between uh, David and Goliath. And let's talk a little bit about salvation because Paul, to those in Ephesus, calls it the helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, the helmet is called the hope of salvation. So my prayer for you is that you would understand how it is that God decided to bring you in to salvation. So when we talk about salvation, we're talking about soteriology. We're talking about the doctrine of salvation. And the first thing I want you to know, beloved, regarding salvation is that salvation originated in the mind of God. It was God that had a mind to save us. God didn't hold no board meeting. God didn't check with the board of presbyters. God didn't inquire about your past. He didn't run a, a, a credit report on you. It was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world that you would be saved. Now, if you're wondering why you're still standing in spite of brain aneurysm, in spite of alcoholism, in spite of drug addiction, in spite of being outside of the will of God, in spite of the tactics and the schemes and the tricks and the wiles of the devil, please understand that God made up his mind to save you. You are saved by the will of God. 
So when we look at this now, it originates in the mind of God, which, by the way, blows my mind that God was thinking about me when I was still out there knocking my head up against every wrong decision, when I was doing things that were contrary to the will of God, when I was a stranger, when I was an alien, when I was in conflict and enmity with the God that loved me, God made up his mind to save me. Lord, I feel like preaching a little while. What what the songwriter said, Coach, uh, uh, Coach, he, he said, uh, God saw the best in me. Isn't, isn't that Marvin Sapp? Come on now. When, when, when everybody else saw the worst in me? Come is, on. Is that Dr. Marvin Sapp? That's but, him. But that's true. In, in, in the realm of, of soci, uh, soteriology, it originates in the mind of God. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly because we got a game to watch tonight. Listen, it originates in the mind of God, but it's dependent upon the grace of God. I want y'all to catch this now. What originated in the mind of God is dependent upon the grace of God because you are saved by grace through faith. It is the glorious light of the gospel by God's grace that shines in our heart to bring us into the totality of what God made up his mind concerning us. See, God's mind was made up before I fell. God's mind was made up before I got tripped up. God's mind was made up before I was uh, doing things that were not becoming to a child of God. So, but now it's still dependent upon the grace of God. See, it is the grace of God. Now, where does the glorious light of the gospel shine? It shines in my heart. It doesn't shine in my mind yet. It shines in my heart. So my heart now begins to be renewed. My heart begins to be repaired. My heart goes from heartbreak to rejoicing. Here's the other thing I want you to know. It originates in the mind of God. It is dependent upon the grace of God. But it is also demands a, uh, uh, it is the, before we get to the human response, it is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Here it is. It originates in the mind of God, relies on the grace of God, but it is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Because contrary to what folks might want to believe, listen, I can shout with the best of them. I'll run around the church in a moment's notice. I'm running and nobody's chasing me. I'm running and nothing's wrong. I'm crying. I'm weeping before God and there ain't a blessed thing wrong with me. So I can do all of that, but that's not the primary role of the Holy Spirit in salvation. The Holy Spirit is not to give me chill bumps and cause me to shout. The Holy Spirit is to convict me that my life is going down a road that is leading me to be tripped up by the scheme, tactics, and devices of the enemy. And so the Holy Spirit convicts me to say, Lord, save me. Lord, bring me into what your mind is thinking regarding me. So it originates in the mind of God. It's dependent upon the grace of God. It is connected to the works of the Holy Spirit. But then here's where you and I come in. It demands a twofold human response. What originates in the mind of God, connected to the grace of God, relying upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit, requires a twofold human response. Number one, I must respond to the free offer of salvation by accepting Jesus Christ into my life. And number two, I must turn from the sin. So it's a, it's a two-step, if you will. Number one, I accept that God has made up his mind concerning me. And number two, as a result of accepting this, I turn from anything that would prevent me from being who or what God called me to be. Ending, of course, in the final step of soteriology, a new relationship and position in God. A new relationship and position in God. No longer am I a stranger. No longer am I an alien, but I've been made to have peace with God. Can I suggest to you, beloved, that part of the fact that I'm still standing is because I've been made to have peace with God. That God says to me, in spite of your failings and spite of your defects of character, I have not changed my mind concerning you. Who, who would take their first praise break with me right there and say, Lord, I thank you that in spite of my defects of character, in spite of my flaws, in spite of my human tendencies, in spite of my inability to see clearly from time to time, you have not changed your mind concerning me. And so we arrive oh, at the place in salvation, where we have a new position and relationship with God, our creator. Now, that's enough to make me happy right there. That's enough to get me to shout and say, God, I thank you that you made up your mind to save me. 
You afforded me the grace to come into the totality of what you called me to do. So when we look at Paul teaching on spiritual warfare and that we don't wrestle against principalities and powers, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood rather, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. No wonder these things have not been able to take us over. No wonder when you go through the water, you are not overtaken. When you go through the fire, you're not kindled and burned because this is not God's thought concerning you. So what the enemy tries to do is get us to forget what God has already spoken regarding us. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. If God had the power to save you, God has the power to keep you. If God has the power to allow you to be delivered, then God has the ability to keep you from falling. Am I talking to anybody? And so what the enemy does is he gets us to be afraid to confront what God wants to give us victory over. If you look at the army that was uh, the army of, of Israel, they were all paralyzed by fear. They all heard the taunts of the Philistine giant, and it was only David that was delivering lunch to his brothers. Can you think about this with me for a minute? David wasn't on anybody's itinerary that day but God's. Nobody had David getting a shot at the title that afternoon but God. Nobody had David delivering an entire nation by the hand of a shepherd except God. And beloved, I want you to know that there are some things that are yet to unfold in your life that nobody has given you access to, but God. God, you, you may not have the resume. It may not be on your dossier. You may not have the degree. You may not have the initials after your name, but you are on the mind of God. How could you be anything other? If I was on the mind of God, to the degree and to the end that he saved me when I was still an enemy of his, what would make you think that God has thoughts other than me on his mind right now? I know it blows your mind. It, it is too much for us to fathom that the God of the universe, the creator of all things good, has you on his mind. But he does. And he does. And he wants you to stand. And that's why Paul says, listen, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Here it is now. We're almost done. David accepts the challenge and they give David armor that didn't belong to him. Catch it now. They gave David first a helmet, not a helmet of salvation, but a helmet to protect him in the natural conflict that was taking place. But they gave him an armor to go with it. And David immediately knew that this ain't a fit. This, this ain't going to work for me. And David uses the language that I can't use this because I've not proven it. I want to talk to real folks here for the remaining seven minutes that I've got left. We got to be real careful in this warfare that we don't try to become something other than what God called us to be. We got to make sure that we don't wear something that doesn't fit. Last night and the, and the week before, don't even get me started on the Oscars. And last night was uh, whatever the music awards are called, the Grammys, I think. I, I'm not really into either, but I'm always fascinated uh, by the pre-show, the red carpet arrival, you know, where they stick the obligatory microphone into the face of the celebrity. And they ask the question, you know what they ask, don't you? They say, uh, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? And they'll say, well, this is a, 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 a Vera Wang or, or this is Versace or this is whatever. And my jewels are Harry Winston. Well, beloved, I got a question for the church because we're supposed to have put on Christ. What, that's what the word says, to put on Christ. So, so my question for you tonight is, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Oh, sure. We wear the, the colors of the school that we coach at. We wear, you know, our Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or South Carolina. Nothing wrong with that. But when I'm talking about when the rubber hits the road, when the tricks, the schemes, the tactics and the devices are raging in your life, what do you have on? Do you have on the helmet of salvation? Do you remember by putting on the helmet of salvation that God made up his mind to save me? Do you remember when you put on the helmet of salvation that God took the initiative to save me? 
that he afforded me the grace of God that connected to the spirit of God that empowered me to have a new relationship with him. Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Uh, I want to next time somebody out who is say I'm wearing Christ. Of course, I put on Christ. I put on the full armor of God because I realized that I'm in conflict. David said, listen, I can't wear this. And how many of us regrettably has spent years and seasons of our life wearing something that God never intended us to wear. I'll only talk about myself. I wore the label of addicted. I wore the label of alcoholic because I was tricked by the schemes and the tactics and the devices of the enemy. I didn't know that before the foundation of the world, the mind of God was that I would be saved. I didn't know that God called me to be a preacher. I didn't know that God called me to be an ambassador. I didn't know that God called me to be a conduit of light and power. I didn't know that God called me to be an agent of change in the earth realm. So I allowed them to label me. And I wore, as it were, an armor that was not intended for me. And David was wise enough to say, no, no, I, I, I can't wear this because I've not proven it. I've not proven it. I don't know that this works, but I know that when I was caring for my father's flock, I, I, I apprehended the lion and the bear using what I'm about to use in this battle. And y'all know the story. He took his slingshot and five smooth stones. And there David was, and he, he shot, as it were, in the direction. Now, the scripture makes clear in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that Goliath had a helmet on. But you see, whenever you have a helmet on that is other than the helmet that suggests you're in right relationship with God, that thing that is aimed to protect you can fail you. Because the scripture says that Goliath had a helmet on. David refused to wear the helmet. David refused to wear the armor. But David was the one that was victorious. Now, Goliath is tall in stature, has his armor on, has a helmet on, and was still defeated. You know why? Because anytime I wear something that is not connected to a new relationship with God, there is no guarantee that it's going to keep me. So beloved, our helmet is called the helmet of salvation because God wants us to understand that I am the God that gives you victory. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. David was wise enough to know my victory is coming not because of my skill warfare but because it is the will of god that this victory come and I, I you got any csi fans on the line i've always wondered this from a from a uh, forensic perspective there's little old david no doubt the trajectory of the rock from the slingshot would have been upward because of the height of the giant the giant has a helmet on but somehow he was still struck in the area that was not covered and the Bible says that the giant fell flat on his face. See, the CSI in me, if I was a, if I was a forensic uh, 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 court, if I was in a criminal defense, I, I, would, I would try to argue that. Now, now, if the trajectory is going up and it hits him in the head, you would think, beloved, that the giant would have fell backwards. But the Bible records that he fell on his face. Now, I'm only one man entitled to one man's opinion. I believe that because just like in the battles in our life, God was behind the thing that David was willing to confront. He said, David, because you're willing to do this, I'm going to secure the victory for you. And I believe that God was there and it was God that allowed the giant to be defeated. David shot from the front, hit him in the head. And instead of falling backwards, he fell forward. And I want you to know that these things in our life that we have been unwilling to confront are there because God wants us to mature in this thing. And God wants us to understand that I've made up my mind to save you. I made up my mind to deliver you. I made up my mind to give you my power and for you to be a conduit of my glory in the earth realm. And I don't want you to continue to live in fear. I don't want you to live by the regret of the mistake of your yesterday. And I certainly don't want you wearing labels. I don't want you wearing things that I have not called you to do or be. So beloved, I just stopped by to tell you that we ought to stop and give God praise for the fact that I'm still standing. I'm standing in spite of my mistakes. 
I'm standing in spite of my proclivities. I'm standing in, in, in spite of the fact that from time to time I missed the mark and I have to repent and I have to say, God, I'm sorry. But God said, you're still standing because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And you're still standing because there is a word over you. You're still standing because the light affliction is but for a moment and working for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You're still standing because all things work together for good, David, to them that love the Lord and are the called according to your purpose. You've not yet seen what it is that I have for you. You've not been bought into the totality of what I desire to do in your life. But I'm so grateful that I'm still standing. And it's a wonderful thing, too, because when you realize that in spite of the tricks, the schemes, the tactics and the devices of the enemy, God was able to keep me from falling. God was able to preserve me. Do you realize that if some people would have endured what you went through in the last season of your life, that they would have snapped into two equal parts? Do you realize that there's some of you on the line that would have flat out lost your pure mind? I'm not talking figuratively. I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm talking you would have lost your pure mind, except for the fact that God said there is a word over you and I am indebted and obliged to keep you from falling. You're standing because of the will of God. You're standing because of God's ability to keep you from falling. Now, don't forget now, you are kept by the power of God, but through faith. God won't even keep you without your faith. God won't even keep you independent of you believing that he can. And I just stopped by to tell somebody tonight, you got to remember that this is a spiritual warfare that is being raised. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So it ain't going to be by your fist. It ain't going to be by you giving them a piece of your mind. It ain't going to be you running around there. I'm going to tell them off. They overlooked me. They, they done messed around and gave the job to somebody less deserving. Stop fighting in the land of carnality. God ain't interested in you coming to a victory by your cardinal thought. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but here's what they are. Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's why the Bible tells you that every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, you are to bring it into captivity. So the next time they try to bring a device, a scheme, a tactic, or anything that is meant to discourage you, I want you to take that thought and bring it by the power of God into captivity. But here's the problem. My wife should be on the line tonight. And here's what my wife teaches us all the time. You cannot bring a thought into captivity that exalts itself against the knowledge of God if you are unawares of what the knowledge of God is. So you've got to know God's will for your life. You've got to know who God called you to be. You've got to know what your kingdom assignment is. You've got to know what armor fits you and what does not. You've got to put off labels that were never meant for you. And only those things that relate to the will of God in my life, those are the only things I'm going to wear. That's the only thing I'm going to put on. Everything else I'm taking into captivity. So if I'm sick and God calls me to be healed, I'm taking that thought of sickness into captivity. If I'm sober and the wile of the devil tries to convince me to drink, I take that thought into captivity. If I'm chased, if I'm keeping my body until marriage and something comes along to try to pervert that, I take that thought into captivity. If I'm going to bicker with somebody and tear them down rather than build them up, I take that thought into captivity. I have a armor that is meant for me to come into victory. So anything that would prevent me from coming into victory, I take it into captive thought. But oh, thank be unto God that giveth us the victory. Ain't that what the word says? But thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory. Here it is now, and I'm done. When we look at this, the nature of the warfare is rather explicit that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now we lose sight of that sometimes. That's when we want to go give them a piece of our mind. I'm going to go tell them about themselves. They said, what about me? Oh, careful now, because you're going down a boulevard. You're going down a rabbit's hole that doesn't lead to victory. Every time you tell them you're going to give them a piece of your mind and I ain't going to be no walking mat and they don't know where I come from. And I, oh, no, no, wait a minute now. Hold it. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not. But we wrestle rather against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this. A world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, then take unto you the whole armor of God. That you'd be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. 
I dare somebody to type on your screen. In spite of it all, I'm still standing. Sister Chelsea tells us her testimony all the time. That brain aneurysm was supposed to take her out, but she's still standing. Some of you were overlooked. You were mishandled. You were mistreated. You were neglected. And you were abused in some instances. But thanks be unto God, I'm still standing. Oh, man, listen, God didn't run your resume by nobody when he decided to bless you. God didn't check with the board of presbyters when he decided to save you. God did not check with the athletic association in your state or in your town to say that he was going to position you favorably, that he was going to give you a job that you didn't qualify for. He said, listen, I'm going to do for you now what I did in the beginning. I'm going to bring you in to what my mind says regarding you. Listen, I want to let you guys have a little bit of time to interact with one another. I don't want to be selfish. Listen to me. If God's mind was to save you then, what makes you think God changed his mind concerning you now? If when I was a stranger and alien, when I was at odds with God, God said, McNulty, I'm going to save you. And I tell folks all the time, if God would have saved me, and hid me in the most recessed part of the bowels of the church, I would have had the loudest praise there. The fact that God didn't only save me, but then had the audacity to say, I'm going to cause you and call you to be a conduit of my power. I'm going to cause you to be an ambassador of mine. I'm going to raise you up to be a preacher of the glorious gospel. Man, listen, in 10, in 10 guesses, I would have never guessed God was going to do that. But God didn't seek my permission when he decided to draw me unto himself. Aren't you glad that you're still standing? Aren't you glad you've got a helmet to protect your head? Aren't you glad that whether the helmet is on in the case of Ephesians 6 or if the helmet is off in the case of 1 Samuel chapter 17, as long as I'm connected to the will of God, my head is going to cover me. Goliath had a helmet on. David did not. Goliath is dead and David becomes the king of Israel. Who wouldn't serve a God like this? Beloved, I don't want to take up all the time and I think we're well over time to be honest with you. So I'm going to pull up right there, but thanks be unto God that you're still standing. I love you, beloved. Thank you for listening to me tonight. And I pray that your heart has been encouraged. Listen, let me tell you something. I don't think anybody was going to have an issue if you kept going, okay? I don't anybody was going to have an issue if you kept going. You know, it's always hard to sit here and be on this end because yeah, I'd be wanting to take off and run down the stairs and come back up again. But y'all know my knee, my knee testimony too won't allow that, right? <laughs> Bro, I'm telling you, every single time you come with the power of the word, I knew straight and full well that when God said, hit up your brother again, it's time for to get him back on here. I knew already what was coming through. It's amazing when people that don't know you, that people have just heard you speak once, they know the vessel that God is using. And you again have delivered a word. I am still standing. You repeat it. Yes, I told God a long time ago, if you heal me, I'll be your mouthpiece. And I tell it everywhere I go, I'm still standing. What has killed most, what has put people six feet under, I stand six feet over and I will be his mouthpiece to say, in spite of it all, I am still standing. I thank you, yes. my Oh, thank you. For that one. Thank you. Woo. Hey, um, I don't want to be rude either. Um, so uh, my other individuals on the line um, and definitely on the chat, if you have anything really quickly for um, our brother here uh, who has delivered this word, uh, definitely you can take the time to do that. I will ask him. I have a few for you before we get out. Um, I know we got people ready and prepared for the game, but really quickly, guys, on the line, if you have anything, um, you can let it rip. If I can get off on mute, my goodness. <laughs> I, I told, uh, my, I'm, in a, I'm in a meeting with Brother Pierce in the Zoom, but I was like, what a word. I'm still standing. Praise I'm God. still standing. What God took us through these last couple of years and what we're still currently going through, we're still standing. That's exciting. I, lo I love having you broke down the word and went back to David. I've never heard that way before. And to God be the glory. I, I thank God for you. I honor you. Uh, I thank God for the gift he's put inside of you. 
keep going, keep pushing. I I, I appreciate the word, brother. I appreciate love you, y'all. coach. Appreciate you, man. Y'all. Yes, sir. Everybody else good? I didn't know if anybody else was battling with mute, like my brother Robert. <laughs> but I agree. Hey, uh, bro, you got somebody down here that say, put that game on record, preach on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and I don't think anybody would have had an issue with it. You know, there was something you said, bro, that I want to uh, put in real quick before um, we uh, say our prayer and get out of here. You know, you mentioned so much that I definitely have like three pages of notes over here while still trying to tweet and text and still listen. Um, but I'm definitely full. But there was something you mentioned that for those listening now and those that will listen later that I want to place emphasis on. You talked about the fact that we have to make sure, and this came from your wife, so shout out to my sis, Audrey, for this one. But we have to make sure as well that we know him, right? We have to also know the person who has given us this will for our life. There may be somebody that does not know him. And so I want you to take the time right now, my brother, to exactly do one and two. The first one, as you said, one, two step, tell them how they may do that and be introduced to this man that makes us so excited, um, that can help us to say in spite of I'm still standing. And then the part of the two step, I need you, if you don't mind, to go ahead and place that uh, invitation out there for those that may be and let them know that they can message you or message me, and we'll get them where they need to be no matter where they are. Yeah, wonderful, because really that's the whole measure of it. Um, you know, there is a frightening uh, exchange in the New Testament to whereby, regrettably, Jesus is going to have the displeasure of saying to some, depart from me, I never knew you. And uh, that's frightening, whether you're in the household of faith or whether you're in, in, not in the church and just don't know him. Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, uh, yada is the Hebrew word for no, and gnoska is the Greek word for no. And I like to teach it this way, my sister. Uh, the word says Adam knew Eve and she conceived. That's Hebrew, yada. So it denotes a relationship between the man and the woman that birthed something. Well, we don't have that type of relationship in that way with Christ, but the word gnoska in Greek means intimacy. So when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, he's going to say, there was no level of intimacy between us. And so if you're there tonight, whether you're in the church and disenfranchised or whether much of this is brand new to you, what you simply have to do is accept the Lord Jesus Christ and his will for your life. You have to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are who you said you are. I confess with my mouth and I believe with my heart that you are Jesus the Christ and that you have been raised from the dead. I want you to come in. I want to be intimate with you. Uh, I, I, I don't know half of what this man just said, but I know that if it was inspired by you and you come into my heart, then my turnaround can begin. My heart now can be delivered from the tricks, the schemes, the tactics, and the devices of the enemy, the wiles, Ephesians 6. Chief among them is to get us to miss what it is that God desires to do in our life. So beloved, it would be my good pleasure to simply lead you to a prayer of invitation to say, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. Lord, come into my marriage. Lord, make me the man or the woman that McNulty says you purposed for me to be before the foundation of the world. Because salvation, this helmet of salvation, this hope of salvation in Thessalonians, all is predicated on God's thoughts concerning you. And God's thoughts concerning you is that you don't perish. God's thoughts concerning you is that you're not disenfranchised in this thing called life. He come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I just stopped by to tell somebody tonight, if that's your lot, if you're listening to this tonight in real time or in the middle of a drunken stupor one night and you stumble across this podcast, all you've got to do is say, Lord Jesus Christ, if this man is telling me the truth, you're nearer to me than I ever imagined. And the word of God says, if you draw nigh unto him, he'll draw nigh unto you. God is interested in intimacy with you. And you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take Sister Chelsea's word for it. You can find out for yourself. You can say, Lord, come into my life, govern my life, 
be Lord of my life so that I might have an intimate relationship with you. The end of soteriology, the end of the doctrine of salvation ends with a new position and a new relationship with him. That's available to you tonight, not because I said so, but because God took the initiative to save you. And if God took the initiative to save you when we were jacked up, then what makes you think God ain't thinking about you now? Oh, God thinks about you 24-7, 365. That's all he thinks about is us. Glory to God. So, Father, we pray for those that might invite you in now. We realize, God, that the preaching would be ineffective if not for the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, do the drawing now. Move on the hearts and on the minds of these that you desire to be saved. God, we do confess with our mouth. We do believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. And we pray, God, that you would fill us with the subsequent work of your grace, that is the majesty and the power of thy Holy Spirit. God, bring us to understand that we've got to respond times two. We have to respond to the invitation, and then we have to respond to the sin by turning from it. God, help us to turn so that we might be free. And God, help us to remember that we will never have victory over that which we're unwilling to confront. And so, Lord, whether we're in the church or whether we're in the club, whether we're in the first row or the back row, whether we are disgruntled or whether we are satisfied, we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would come in and help us to grow in the faith and in the knowledge of who you are to the glory of your name, that we might be your conduits, that we might be your ambassadors in Jesus' name. And every glad heart said, thank God and amen. Thank God and amen, sir. My brother, my amen. brother. You've done it again. I know you're going to say by the help of the Lord, but you were willing. and we Well, God is good. Indeed. Um, and so just as a follow-up, um, if anybody that is listening now or later, uh, you can definitely message us. We will be happy no matter where you are. We've even gone international, thanks be to God, to get mm -hmm. you where you need to be. You can send me an a email. You can send me a DM. You can do the same for my brother, Dennis, or anybody, if you are on social media, anybody on this servant leader, you find them, we will get you where you need to be. We thank you guys so much. And we hope that you hang on in there with us throughout the month of April and thenceforth beyond that, but celebrating the second anniversary of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I continuously say this is not about me. It's an entire family. It's a group of us. I'm telling you right now, you may not always see them. They may not always come off me, but it's a group of us and we're looking to extend, to grow, to just extend the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, the knowledge of Christ and infiltrate every single world to create servant leaders. So we thank you guys so much. We'll be back with you all month long talking about the whole armor and God so that we all can be able to stand. We thank you all for listening.